In today's rapidly changing world, we all have questions and we all want answers. It's on this program that we get our answers from the Word of God. It's time for another episode of A Relevant Word with longtime pastor and best-selling author, Carl Gallup. Welcome to another Relevant Word with Pastor Carl Gallops of the Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in the Pensacola, Florida area. And Pastor Carl, there's a lot of things that we do in the church, and maybe if if uh, some of the, some people in the audience have maybe grown up with the church since childhood, yeah. there's some things that happen in the church that we just seem to just do, yeah. and um, we know the meaning behind it, uh, particularly the Lord's Supper. Yeah, It's like different churches do it different ways. Yeah. Uh, it, so today, I guess it's going to be fifth Sunday. When I grew up, we always had yeah. it on the fifth yeah, Sunday in go. my Baptist church. But uh-huh. uh, let's talk about, I'd like to hear what you think about the Lord's Supper and how it's not just something we do at church on fifth Sunday, but right. how it's really relevant to us today. Right, right. And, and you know, and, and I love the fact that you said that your church did it on fifth Sunday. That's mm-hmm. one way it's done. Some whole denominations do it. Every time they meet, for example, other denominations do it differently, some by denominational orders, and then you've got more independent churches, and then they will do it as many times as they want during the year, sometimes for special occasions or special events, et cetera. So, so, so the whole thing is it's, it's, it's really now I want the, I want the listener to, to hear my heart here. I'm not disparaging anyone or any denomination. The fact that we would still celebrate it is absolutely amazing. It's the oldest living and I'm using air quotes to say religious ritual on the planet, continual, mm. continual going. It started when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, okay, 3,500 years ago. And to one degree or the other, that same celebration has gone on among the Jewish people and now the Christian people who, who have the, 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 the full revelation of it in Jesus Christ for 3,500 years. There's no other religious uh, uh, celebration that has gone on continually than that. And so it's, it's amazing. Um, so the point being, though, that different denominations, different churches may do it a little differently, but in a lot of Christians' minds, it has been relegated to to almost something, well, it's Lord's Supper Sunday. Okay, it's that thing we do again. It's a ritual. It's a, Well, we do it. Why do we do it? Well, because we've always done it. Well, why have we always done it? Well, because we're Baptist or Methodist or Assembly God or Catholic or Lutheran or whatever. Well, is that why we do it? Because you've always been a Lutheran or a Baptist uh, or a Catholic? Or, I mean, what, what, why do we do it? Well, we're celebrating right before Jesus went to the cross. He ate with his disciples. Okay, but What's the depth of that? What do the elements really mean? How did they derive their meanings? And more importantly, are there any other Old Testament connections and New Testament connections? And by the way, what's the relevance to it, to our lives in the days in which we're living right now? What does any of this mean other than a religious ritual? So that, I appreciate the way you started it. And so that's what I want to answer today for our listeners. The bottom line is that Jesus left the church with at least two ordinances. Now, that, that word ordinance, I don't know if it's in the Bible or not, but that's a word we're familiar with. It's a, it's a, it's a tradition, or more than a tradition, it's an, it's an actual, uh, it's an actual um, commandment, if you will. It's, it, it's an order from the Lord, something for us to do. The two are baptism 
And, and, and for those that are believers, believers baptism, uh, we find all that through the New Testament, throughout the New Testament. And, and we'll talk about that some other time. But the, the next one is the Lord's Supper, because when he took the Lord's Supper, every place in the Scripture that speaks of the Lord's Supper in the New Testament, it points out that in one way or the other that Jesus said, and every time you do this, you do it in remembrance of me. So there's the expectation that it was going to be done a lot every time you do it, and that there was a reason behind it. You do it in remembrance of him. Or what What does that mean, to remember? Well, obviously it means to remember what he did on Calvary's cross, to remember that he resurrected, to remember that he birthed the church, to remember that he is the center of the gospel that we preach, and to remember that he is coming again. And he said that in the Lord's Supper. He said, remembrance of me, and the next time we do it together will be in the in the in the kingdom. And, and so the inference is, is that maybe he will serve it to us. Who knows? But he, just, he makes all of those statements in the New Testament. So we know that it's intimately connected to the person of Jesus Christ. So what does this have to do with our lives? Let's go back to the beginning again. Folks, hang in here with me. I always like to settle foundation and context. And when we do, we can say, oh, my gosh. I never knew that it was that deep. Now, again, many of you listening will probably know most, if not all, of what I'm going to say, but maybe you've never quite heard it like this. But there'll be a lot of people listening. This will be the first time they've ever understood it this way. I know we have guests, a lot of guests in our church. We do a Lord's Supper four or five times a year at specific times of year for specific purposes. We try to keep it central to the entire worship service, not just a tack on at the end or something because it's a Baptist thing to do or something like that. But we try to make it extremely central and extremely relevant to the time of the year that we're living in for for whatever purpose. So we do that. But whenever I preach and teach this as, as a part of the service, I always bring up, I mean, you can find elements of the Lord's Supper all through the Old Testament and all through the New Testament. So there's plenty of preaching that could be done around it besides the traditional stuff of, well, they sat down for the Lord's Supper and Jesus took the bread and blessed it and Jesus took the cup and blessed it. And so we do the same. All right, everybody do the same. Follow me. Amen. All right, let's go home. We've done the Lord's Supper. Praise God. No, no, it's so much deeper than that. And it's so much more personal than that. And a lot of it just depends upon how it's celebrated. I mean, if it's just a kind of a attack on at the end of the service because our denomination tells us to or, or, or the people get mad if we don't do it every now and then, you know, well, what is it? What is it? Is it a celebration of good luck? I mean, some people actually look at it like that. All right, if I eat this little piece of bread and I take this cup and I say a pretty little prayer, then, I'm, then God's going to bless me somehow. Well, but it's more than a spare tire in the back trunk. It's more than a good luck charm. It is something deep and personal and rich and very, very relevant. So let me set the foundation. I'll go all the way back to the beginning. When we sit down for a Lord's Supper in our church or when we we take, undertake to celebrate it, it is a memorial service. There's only been one Passover. See, that's what it was. When Jesus was was with his disciples that night, they were sitting down to a Passover meal. It was during the week of Passover. Well, he had had ministry for three, three and a half, maybe four years, some, some theologians say. So they had done this before. And never, though, did he expressly make it about himself. It always has been, but he revealed to his disciples that it has always been about him specifically down to the nth detail. And I'm getting ready to give those details. So, so when he did this that night, the disciples, I'm convinced, just 
kind of thought, well, we're in Jerusalem. It's Passover. They, they were there for the Passover celebration, and we're going to take the Passover again. Okay, that's cool. But the deal is that there's only been one Passover. Everything after that is a memorial service of it. In other words, when they came out of Israel that night, when they got in their homes under the blood of the Lamb, and the angel of death, if you will, the messenger of death, passed over those homes, those people who were under the blood, and then they came out of that slavery and went into the wilderness and finally into the promised land 40 years later. That was the Passover. That happened only once in history. But we were commanded, starting with the Jewish people, to once a year on that the yearly, the annual remembrance of that date celebrated again in memorial, okay? So that's kind of like our Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving. There's only one Thanksgiving. It happened during the settling of the colonies. There's one time, but but when it was finally codified into law in the United States, and now it's become an annual event, it's a memorial of what happened in the 1600s. Does that make sense, Kevin? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's the same thing with the Passover. It happened once. All right, so we got to go back to Exodus 12 that tells us when it happened. And they were getting ready to come out of Egypt. I mean, they'd had a year and a half of the ten plagues of Egypt and that Moses had spoken to the Lord and, and with the whole burning bush account and God had given him the instructions and about the plague one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And then the tenth plague was the death of the firstborn if Pharaoh didn't repent and if the Egyptian people didn't repent and let God's people go. Well, they didn't and Pharaoh didn't. And so the tenth plague was on its way, the death of the firstborn. And Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, look, this is going to happen now for a year and a half. You've been watching these other nine pour out. It's going to happen. And, and Pharaoh was stiff-necked and hard-hearted, and, and, and so God gave him over to that, and, and, and his pride consumed him, and he just refused to do it. So Moses went to the people, and he said, okay, y'all get ready. This is the, the tough ride right here, because on a certain night coming up soon, uh, God, he is going to release the power of heaven's throne, and throughout the land, the firstborn of everything is going to die. Children, animals, everything and the land will be filled with weeping and wailing and blood and and and, and death. And, but you can escape this coming wrath of God if you'll get under the blood of the Lamb. Now, I'm going to say this, and then on the flip side, when we come back, I'm going to get into the details, the nuts and bolts, bringing it right up to when Jesus sat down with his disciples. And then how that becomes extremely relevant to us when we understand what it is. But I'm going to say this. When Moses came to the people and said, God's going to deliver us on this night, but here's how. Go get a lamb and kill it and put its blood on the doorpost and get inside that house and everybody that you can get, get inside that house, eat the lamb, eat everything, whatever's left over you, burn it, and then God will deliver you. I bet the people said, say what? Say, say what? What does that have to do with anything? A blood and a lamb and put it on the doorpost and get in the house and get everybody in there and, and the friends and family and neighbors and other slaves from other nations, whoever will come under the blood. What does that have to do with anything? I imagine they asked him that. I imagine Moses might have asked God. I imagine God probably gave Moses a foreshadowing of what it all meant because Moses was strict about carrying it out. On the other side of all of this, in just a few moments, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get into the details of what Moses told them and then show you what happened when Jesus went to Calvary's cross and what all this has to do with us. 
It's a different look at the Lord's Supper today on A Relevant Word with Pastor Carl Gallops, and we'll return right after the break. For more on Pastor Carl or to listen to his podcast anytime, visit carlgallops.com. For more on Pastor Carl or to listen to his podcast anytime, visit carlgallops.com. This is A Relevant Word with Pastor Carl Gallops, and today we're taking a different focus on the Lord's Supper, not just something that we do in church because it's the fifth Sunday or, yeah. or, or whatever whatever time churches do it or whatever date right. that's special to do it, but it's a deeper look at the Lord's Supper and how it is relevant to us today. Exactly. And so let me let me continue on what I promised, uh, and that is we're going to go back to the very foundation of it. Now, this is important. Please hang in there. Again, this is not going to be boring, I promise. It's context and foundation, but listen to the details of this. And think while I'm saying these things, think of what we know in Jesus Christ and the cross, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the birth of the church, and all of that. Think of this. We go back to Exodus 12 when Moses told the people, right, this is how it's going to happen. And as we concluded the, the, the last session there, talking about surely the people had to scratch their heads and say, say what now? We're going to kill a lamb and sprinkle his blood where and do what? And but But Moses made it clear to them, this is the commandment of the Lord. And, and they might have even asked, well, why did he command us to do that? And Moses said, it doesn't matter. This is all a part of God's eternal plan, but it also will ensure your deliverance and safety and your life being spared during this event. So do exactly like I tell you. Now, here's what he said, beginning in Exodus 12. And I'm going to paraphrase so that you know we can get on and, and, and make best of our time here. But what he said was, look, In the month of Nisan, which is from now on to be the first month of your new year, on the 10th day of that month, you are to choose a lamb for you and your household. It is to be a perfect male lamb, a one-year-old lamb, which just represents uh, just, you know, he's, he's, he's grown, he's getting grown, he's, he's beautiful, he's, he's completely um, uh, uh, unblemished, he's perfect, and you take that lamb and then you hold it for four days. You start on the 10th of Nisan, and then you hold it till the 14th. Now, I promise you, back in that agricultural society, when you brought a little one-year-old male lamb into the house or the holding pen, if you had any children anywhere nearby, uh, that was their pet. I mean, they, they got attached. The whole family was easy to get attached to a little lamb. And so they brought in this lamb into the house. Attachments are made. And then the next rituals shock them. He says, and on the 14th day, you take that little male lamb and you slaughter it. And you take the blood that comes out of that lamb. You catch it in a basin and you take it and you take a hyssop branch and you dip the hyssop branch in the blood and you are to put the blood over the doorpost of your home, not just willy-nilly, and you're not supposed to splash it and throw it up there. You do it like this. You take a hyssop branch, you dip it in the bowl, and you put a, a, a slosh of it over the top of the doorframe, 
Then you put a slosh of it on the left-hand side and then the right-hand side of the door frame. Well, what you're doing, and I'm making the motions right here in the studio, what you're doing is you're making the shape of a cross <laughs> because there's blood at the top that's going to drip right down to the bottom. And then there's blood on both doorposts, and all that blood is rolling down and dripping down over that door. Now, by the time we get to Jesus, what does he call himself several times? I am the door. I am the way. I am the gate. I am the door. Nobody gets to my father's house unless they come through me. Well, but how do you come through Jesus? You have to get under the blood, right? The blood sacrifice, Hebrews 9 Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That ultimate shedding of blood came through Jesus Christ. And so way back in Exodus 12, 3,500 years ago, the order that God gave Moses was you take the blood of a perfect one-year-old male lamb, you choose it on the 10th, you slaughter it on the 14th. You don't choose it on the 9th. You don't choose it on the 11th. You choose it on the 10th. Why the 10th? What's up? All right, hang on. And then you slaughter it on the 14th, not the 13th or the 12th or the 15th or the 16th, on the 14th day. Then you take the blood and put it in the shape of a cross. Of course, Moses didn't say cross, but he showed him how. And you do it with a hyssop branch. And then everybody that comes through that door under that blood and is in that house. Well, what do you do in that house? That night you consume that lamb, all of it. Anything that's left over, you burn it. To destroy it so the dogs don't get it, the enemy doesn't get it, and it is consumed, the whole family, under the blood of the Lamb, inside the house together, in faith, in God, on that night, instead of Santa Claus coming, and that's I know that's anathema to some people, but instead of that, no, 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 the angel of death is going throughout Egypt, and the firstborn of every household, animal and people, that are not under the blood of the Lamb will die. This is a picture of God's wrath, his, his, the, his ultimate wrath in the last days. When, when the Lord Jesus returns, God's going to pour out his wrath. But let's go back to Egypt for right now. This is going to bring that wrath of God upon Egypt so that Pharaoh will let God's people go without a fight. And that's exactly what happened. It all happened in the people that were under the blood, about a million and a half people when you look at the Bible, 600,000 men. Then you think of all the women and children that came out. 600,000 is what the Bible says. And then it says, and there were many others from all the nations of the world that came out with them. Why? Because Egypt was like America. It was a conglomeration of people, you know, immigrants, and some of them were slaves like the Egyptians. And so, but these people came out, there were probably several million million people that came out, but all of them, the only ones that came out were those who got under the blood somehow. Well, here's here's a beautiful thing. How did everybody in Egypt know if you got under the blood, you would be saved? Most of the people mocked. There were many, many, many millions of people in Egypt, but only about a million and a half, two million came under the blood. How did they get under? Because the the Jewish people, the Hebrew people told them about it. And they said, look, we don't understand it. We don't understand. We know it sounds weird to you, but if you'll get under the blood of the Lamb, you'll be saved. <laughs> that comes right out of the New Testament. Done. If you get under the blood of the Lamb with us tonight, you'll be saved. If you consume the Lamb with us tonight, you'll be saved. You'll be under the blood of the Lamb, and God will pass you over with his wrath. He will pass you over, and you will be saved, and you will be delivered, and you will be brought out of slavery into freedom. And that's exactly what happened. Now, come all the way up to the New Testament. God in the flesh slips into creation. We know him as Yeshua, Jesus, Jesus Christ. 
three years of public ministry, maybe a little more, he's performing things that the world had never seen before. The Old Testament prophesied it. He would open the eyes of the blind. He would make the lame walk. He would drive out demons. He would bring people out of darkness. He would open their eyes. All of these things. He would calm the wind and the waves, the waters. That's actually in the Old Testament as prophecies of the things that Christ would do because he's God in the flesh. All of these different things were said. He came. He did them. Not a single solitary human being before then had ever been able to do those things, and no one since has ever been able to do them, but he did them, and they were witnessed in some cases by people of, more, of crowds bigger than 10,000 people. When he took the few loaves of bread and fish and fed them all, he had 10,000 witnesses to that. That did not go unnoticed. And now three years later, it's near the end, he's getting ready to deliver himself to the cross, as the Old Testament said, then he's going to rise from the dead, as the Old Testament said. Then the church is going to be born, as the Old Testament said. Yes, it was veiled, but it's there, Zechariah 4 and other places. All of these things were getting ready to happen. It's coming down to the last week, and it was Passover week in Jerusalem. And guess what? On the 10th day of Nisan, Jesus rode in through the eastern gate on the back of a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah 9, when he said, Behold, your king will come to you. Your salvation will come, riding lowly and humble upon the back of a donkey. And here he is, coming through the eastern gate. The people saw it. Now, in the meantime, three years of ministry have gone by. They've watched him or heard about him raising Lazarus, raising the little girl from the dead. They 10,000 were there when he fed them with fish and a few loaves of bread. The disciples were there when he calmed the wind and the waves and scared them to death. They said, who is this that speaks to the waves and they obey him, the wind and they obey him? All of these things, he, they were there when he healed the blind, when he opened the ears of the deaf, when he drove out demons, uh, uh, crowds. Crowds of thousands were there that saw a lot of this happening. All of this is happening, and now it's the last week of his life. Nobody on the planet knew it but him, even though he told his disciples. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it till after the resurrection. The Bible actually says that. And so there they are on the 10th day of Nisan. He comes in through the eastern gate, and what do the people do? They choose their lamb. They cry out. Hosanna to God in the highest, to the Son of David, which is an Old Testament messianic term for you are a Savior. You're the Messiah that is to come. They're choosing their lamb on the 10th. Four days from that day is Passover. Four days or will be Passover at sundown that night. But before that night, to satisfy the whole Passover ritual of 1,500 years before that, on that 14th day, Early that morning is when the crowds, the same crowd, started hollering, crucify him, give us Barabbas. What were they doing? Slaughtering the lamb. Pilate, the Jews, the Sanhedrin council, and even the people, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. On the 10th day, they chose him, the lamb. On the 14th, they slaughtered him. What did they do? They took him out to Golgotha. What did they do? They nailed his two hands and his feet to a cross, put a crown of thorns on his head. Blood was at the top of the cross. It was on both sides, left and right. Over and over for three years, he had told them, and I am the door. You come into my father's house, you have to come through me, and you have to be under the blood of the lamb. On that day, the lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the earth, everything, they even offered up to him on a hyssop branch, wine and vinegar. I mean, on and on, every detail 
that was written about everything about the Messiah in the Old Testament, thousands of years before it happened, there he was fulfilling it all. That's why we celebrate it now, because he said, do this in remembrance of me from now on until we take it together in my Father's kingdom. And he's talking to his children, those of us that are now under the blood of the Lamb. When we take the Lord's Supper, it's not a good luck charm. God doesn't promise us good luck if we do it. He's saying, you're, you're honoring me. You're worshiping me. You're remembering what I did for you, what I have done for you, what I am doing for you right now, and what I'm going to do when I return. It is that deep. It is that personal. It is that relevant. And it is the oldest living ritualistic sacrifice still done to this very day. And it's all about Jesus. It always has been. A relevant look at the Lord's Supper today on A Relevant Word with Pastor Carl Gallops. Thank you for listening, folks. And may the Lord bless you and keep you always. Now more than ever, we need to listen to God. He still speaks through His Word, the Bible. Each week, Pastor Gallops shares what the Word of God is saying. Even now, A Relevant Word with longtime pastor and best-selling author Carl Gallops. To access Pastor Carl and to listen to his podcast anytime, visit carlgallops.com. Thanks for listening.